Well, good evening, everybody. Again, it's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. Again, uh, normally we don't do two of these in one day, but in this case, uh, there is a very nice young lady who has some things to share. Um, in the last couple years, three years, at least when I've been paying attention, I've noticed that things aren't really what they seem. Democracy isn't really what we thought it was. Government and politics didn't really work the way I thought they did. And, you know, now that we're paying attention or that I'm paying attention, at least, um, I've realized that we have more paying attention to do. Democracy, in my opinion, does not mean that a small group, a select group of people get to decide who is going to be their voice. Um, I think the people with the voices should be able to decide. I said that when uh, Tim Hovens was disqualified from running as a UCP candidate against uh, Jason Nixon. Um, I've said that a couple times over the last you know, year, year and a half, when people have been disqualified for, from running as candidates in their local elections, because you know a group of a select group of people didn't want them to. And the danger with that, at least in my eyes, is that only those people who will say the things that the select elite group of people like are allowed to speak. I don't agree with that at all. So um, I would like to bring on Nadine Wellwood. She is, uh, she has been nominated at the local level to run um, as an MLA for the UCP. But what's happened is the provincial board said, no, we don't like your opinions. We don't like your position on certain things. So we're not going to let you be the voices or the voice for the people in that constituency. And I don't like that at all. Now, I don't see this as a uh, huge hurdle at the moment because we have a refreshed, refurbished UCP right now. We have a premier and uh, some board members who are talking about grassroots and allowing people to speak and that kind of thing. So I see this as an opportunity to let people know what's going on and give the government an opportunity to do the right thing. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Nadine Wellwood. How are you, Nadine? I'm good, Chris. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm busy, as you have been over the last while as well, I'm sure. <laughs> I have indeed. <laughs> but now you get some time and you're doing some camping, so that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, minus 30. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's minus 30 here too. And I'm loving every minute of it. I'm not loving it. <laughs> I feel so. like I'm back in Labrador. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it's a little bit brisk outside. I actually had to put a jacket on today. I've been running around in just my hooded sweatshirt for, for the last few days up to about minus 25. And I thought, you know what? A little bit chilly. I need to put something else on, which is, a, you know, that's my metric for winter is how many jackets I'm wearing. I say, I think I've only ever seen you in a hooded sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah, most most times, yeah. So um, what's happening? What 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 brings you by? What's What's going on in Nadine's world these days? Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you what's the most relevant um, thing going on in Nadine's world is I put my nomination forward uh, for Livingston McLeod to the um, UCP to be the MLA here and uh, was very hopeful that it would be a very vibrant and, uh, you know, great exchange of ideas amongst, you know, 
anybody else who was willing to put their name forward and, and challenge the current MLA for the position. And uh, six nominations were requested. I do, as I have met a couple of them, um, some of them I know, knowing that I was had put my name forward, didn't bother putting their nominations in. And in the last minute, last day, um, the current MLA, who refused, by the way, to step aside for the premier so that she could run in her own riding, um, opted to withdraw his nomination, which left just me. And um, I went shortly thereafter, the week after, to have my interview with the local candidate nomination election committee. And uh, they unanimously put my name forward. We discussed a number of tweets and social media. We put things into context. We had discussions. They were all very happy with my candid uh, answers. And they put forward my name only to have it disqualified at the provincial board. Oh, boy. So let's back up a minute. And I want to give you the opportunity to explain to people why you decided to do this in the first place. Like what what in the world would motivate you to want to be an MLA? Um, well, as many people know, I did run in two federal elections for the People's Party of Canada in 2019 and 2021. And for the most part, I got involved in politics because I just became a very disgruntled mom. I have a little girl who's 11 years old, and I'm just very concerned about the future that I have brought a child into the world, and what am I leaving her with? I didn't like the direction that things were going. This whole woke ideology um, is very disturbing for me. Um, do I have strong opinions? Of course I do. Um, I'm an Albertan, first and foremost. And, um, you know, I was raised to think critically and to challenge authority. And I don't want to be argumentative, but I do want to ask questions. And I do expect that people have answers to those questions. And respectfully, when I present information, um, I expect other people to challenge that as well. I mean, this is how we get to the best resolution, the best solutions, the best government, the best everything is by challenging the status quo and, you know, coming to a conclusion that hopefully is better for everybody. And I wasn't seeing that happening. So I did end up running in the Senate as well here provincially um, in 2021 when we had our, our elections. And, you know, 100,000 uh, Albertans did put a check mark next to my name. And um, I, I just, I was, I figured, okay, well, I very much do align with a lot of the views, a lot of the opinions of Albertans. And I've reviewed the UCP's statement of principles. Um, and I'm just, I wanna share these with everybody for a second, because I think this is really important. Um, statement of principles, according to the United Conservative Party of Alberta on their own website, the party will stand united on the following principles that guide our vision for a stronger Alberta. A robust civil society made up of free individuals, strong families, and voluntary associations, freedom of speech, worship, and assembly, affirm the family as the building block of society and the means by which citizens pass on their values and beliefs and ensure that families are protected from intrusion by government, economic freedom in a market economy that encourages the creation of wealth through free enterprise and protection of the right to own, enjoy, and exchange property. I, re I read that and went, hey, 
I can definitely run for the UCP. I completely align with those statements. Well, that my, I'm sorry, my head's spinning a little bit after hearing you read that because the last two years, they didn't do that. No. At all. I mean, they literally jailed pastors for practicing their faith to their congregation. They limited free enterprise, enjoyment of property, the ability to participate in the market and do business. That's, uh, I, I, I wish I could rewind so I could read that to uh, some of the folks that came to my business and put chains on my doors. That would have been wonderful. Yeah. But missed opportunity. And, and this is some of the problems that I'm running into now is because I actually was at the whistle stop and yes, you were. Change, chains on your doors and um, was there in support and pro of that protest because I do believe the government did overreach. And for me, I wouldn't be probably running right now for the UCP if this was still a Jason Kenney um, at, the, at the helm. Um, let's be honest about that. I would have known right from the get-go. I probably would never have received the nomination papers to submit. Um, but under the new leadership of Daniel Smith, I am very hopeful that people go back to these statement of principles and follow through on them, that they're not just written on a piece of paper to be ignored or disregarded, but that they actually mean something and that this is actually a grassroots party where, you know, the members are the ones that are making the decisions. And this is what I find so disturbing about this decision to disqualify me. Um, they really disqualified me because I have strong opinions and I've spoken out on issues, many of which uh, the premier has spoken out on herself and are well in line with this statement of principles. Okay, so let's talk about that for a moment. Um, when you're campaigning, I mean, what do you, what is it that you're offering? What are some of your opinions and principles that you want to bring to the legislature? Well, for me, uh, freedoms is certainly still one that needs to be addressed. We need to make sure that we do not have lockdowns ever again. Um, you know, Danielle Smith, our premier, came out and said, we were never going to lock down again. And then you had one of her cabinet ministers come out and say, oh, never say never. Well, to me, never means never. And I want to make sure that this never happens again in a free and democratic society, supposedly, um, where people are discriminated against. There is segregation. Um, the level of division amongst people, family, friends, you know, parents who died without it not in the presence of their children because mandates to me that that has to bar none never again and that so that is a priority some people that are in power however just want to sweep that under the rug because they know they made bad decisions um jason kenny himself spoke out you know just a week or two earlier to imposing passports saying that they were illegal and then within weeks, we have vaccine passports. So which is it? Are they illegal? And if they are, then there should be accountability. No one in this country is above the law, especially politicians, in my opinion. So I think people need to be held accountable for the decisions that they made. 
So that's number one. Number two, I am a chartered investment manager. I've owned my own um, investment securities firm in the private equity market. I also have owned an aerospace and defense company. So I have followed geopolitics and politics and economics for, oh, at least two decades, um, probably closer to three. And don't ask my age. Everybody asks my age. <laughs> it's like, I'm 50. So, uh, you know, I'm not new to this. It's not like I don't have experience. And so right now we're talking about affordability. We've got inflation. We've got so much government intrusion in our lives. And we have a fight that needs to be uh, fought with Ottawa. And I think having run in federal elections, understanding what the federal issues are, bringing that to a provincial level now with a premier who really is, seems to be willing to step up and, uh, you know, say Albertans first, which every campaign I've ever run has always been Alberta first. Um, I just thought that I could really be add value to me. Politicians should add value. It's not just a placeholder where the leader dictates what you're going to respond or or you're going to go along for the sake of getting along. It's about what can you bring to the discussion? What can you bring to the debate? How can you add value mm -hmm. to the system and to the people in your riding? We saw a lot of going along to get along over the last couple of years. As a matter of fact, one of the most troubling things that's occurred to me uh, is in speaking with some of our MLAs, they've said things kind of similar to, you know, Chris, uh, it's great to meet you. I really supported what you did and opened your restaurant. We were, you know, we were all rooting for you and, and you wouldn't believe how much support you had in caucus, but you know, we just couldn't say anything. And I'm like, well, thanks for nothing. Like, thank you for reaffirming what I already knew and that I was doing the right thing. But what am I supposed to do with the second part of that in that we couldn't use our voices, even though we're actually elected to use our voice. That hurt. That hurt big time because I, I, I often wonder if they had had, say, an open vote in caucus to say, hey, do we want to persecute this guy or are we going to change the rules because he's right? Maybe they would have voted in my favor. I don't know. But that didn't happen. And those conversations never happened. And now we're at a point where... Um, Things are getting progressively worse. Yes, we don't have any lockdowns, but now we have a different problem. And I dare to even speak about it. The increase in unknown deaths and, and weird things that are happening to people. And yet our politicians are silent, except for Shane Getson. I mean, Shane Getson speaking out saying, hey, you know, something's going on here. We need to look into it. Why aren't we looking into it? Nobody else really is. And it is alarming to say the least. So this whole idea of being able to speak and be voices for your constituents, especially in the face of something like what's going on right now, is critically important. It's so important. It's actually a matter of life and death. It really is. I mean, people are dying, right? What are they dying from? I don't know. Is there something wrong? I don't know. Should we look into it, have conversations? Yes, we should, but it's not happening. And this is probably kind of along the same lines of why uh, you were disqualified. So on that note, why were you disqualified? So I am trying to um, give the party the benefit of the doubt here. Um, and, and in hopes that the provincial election committee um, is really just the leftover Jason Kenney. And um, once this does get to the upper 
uh, board, which apparently they will be having that discussion sometime this week, that they do understand what's at, at stake here. Rural ridings are tired of being unheard. They feel like they're being disrespected um, and undervalued and overshadowed by urban centers, right? And they don't have a voice. And this is just really gonna intensify that feeling. Um, Alberta, for example, wants the respect of the federal government in its own provincial jurisdiction. But shouldn't this party respect the jurisdiction of the local CAs in selecting their candidates as well, whom they wish? Absolutely. Absolutely, they should, to reflect their views and opinions. I can't control Calgary and Alberta. Um, and I don't speak for them. I came here to speak for the people of Livingston McLeod. And I think I reflect their views and their opinions very well. And I've got thousands of people who have bought memberships and who have come out to support me. Um, and like I said, my phone has been ringing off the hook with how do we help? This is just not right. Um, and justice, I'm hoping, will prevail. And they do come to, you know, more sober minds come to conclude that this was the wrong decision and they overturned the decision. Um, MLAs have a responsibility uh, to speak up on behalf of the residents, to protect. I, I, so many of the MLAs came out and said, well, I just, we weren't prepared. We had no idea COVID was coming. Well, that's what you're there for, is for when things like COVID come. It's just one example of a crisis, but you're right. We have another crisis right now. We have things that are unexplained, but people are afraid to bring them forward. Why? Because, well, we've seen MLAs that were kicked out of caucus. Now we're seeing people who've run and have been put forward who are not even given an opportunity to become an MLA because they're too vocal or outspoken. Um, and I don't think I've been outspoken or vocal in a disrespectful way. I think I'm very respectful of other people's opinions, but I'm not going to shy away from a debate. I was so disheartened when the MLA here decided to withdraw his nomination and he withdrew knowing that it was going to be a tough fight. Why? Because I can hold my own. I have the evidence. I have data that I can call upon. Um, and I don't think that he was ready for that or prepared for that, um, that, that fight. And, and But that's what it, the role of an MLA is, is to have that fight on behalf of their constituency and the people within it. And, um, you know, so for me, I look at it and I go, we have a constitution to protect us in times of crisis. We don't need a constitution when everything's great. Like two years, well, let's say five years ago, Chris, you didn't need anybody to come in and say, hey, yeah, we didn't need to have a conversation about human rights. No. Because everything was good. Right? But I, I will say that there are lots of conversations about human rights that we should have been having because there were things going on around us that we didn't get involved in because it hadn't affected us. And I say that with uh, a lot of shame and guilt. But, I mean, we're, we're changing that, I hope. We're trying. And that's really what I'm here to do is to make oh, a difference, to, to pardon try. Pardon me, I just lost your voice. Just one second. Okay. Try that again. Can you hear me now? Yep, there you are. Awesome. Very, very infrequently do I lose my voice. Huh. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> well, where were we? I'm distracted now. 
Uh, that's okay. We were talking about the role of an MLA and how, you know, really they should be there in times of crisis to reassure their constituents, answer their calls, answer their concerns, answer their questions, um, to be that communication between government and the constituency. And I didn't see that at all with the majority of MLAs. And um, I just think I will do a much better job. I, you know what, I, I agree. You're very opinionated. You're very vocal. Uh, you certainly don't shy away from, you know, talking about the things that are tough to talk about. So should we be looking at this as a roadblock or as an opportunity for this new refurbished UCP uh, with, you know, a freedom minded individual, Daniel Smith at the helm? We should be should, should we be looking at it as an opportunity to do better than what the Kenny government did? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think the winner out of all of this, if this disqualification stands, is truly the NDP. They do not want us talking about, um, you know, the, the real issues. They want to control the narrative in the media. And we need to stop shying away. We need to stop apologizing for being conservative and for wanting to seek truth and justice. So, you know, for me, I, I see this as a massive opportunity for this new board to prove its leadership to the grassroots that, you know what, we are different. This is not a Jason Kenney authoritative top down dictatorship. This is a bottom up grassroots. We are listening to our members and we respect the jurisdiction of the local CAs in participating in their democratic process and we respect their choices. So I, I do believe it is, um, and I, I'm very optimistic that I'm gonna win the appeal um, because how can Alberta ask the federal government to respect its jurisdiction when they're not willing to do it themselves? Yeah, I, I totally agree. So the question has come up, um, w was this the new board? Like that was supposed to be a huge victory for Alberta and for democracy was getting a freedom-minded uh, provincial board installed now we've done that and i just found out today actually that two of them have actually res resigned those positions and taken staff jobs so i mean i thought thought we fixed the, the problem with the provincial board what's what's going on here yeah and i can't speak on behalf of the provincial board um so it this is kind of a two-tier system we had the local election committee that had met with me. We interviewed uh, the province, the provincial board had actually, the election committee board had given them some questions and flagged some uh, social media in order to, you know, see how I would respond to those. We, we addressed that in that interview. They put my name forward. Um, I think they were very appreciative of the candidate answers and there was nothing in there that was not either conjecture or they hadn't read the entire thread um you know and couldn't be explained so i i was flew through that we got to the provincial election committee now who has made a decision to disqualify me based upon those same me social media posts so and to be clear the provincial election committee is not the provincial governing board correct correct yeah. 
So now it has to go to the big UCP board that's hopefully been newly elected. But as I understand it, they don't all take their positions until I think the 22nd of November. So I'm not 100% sure on that. And um, they'll, they'll be the ones that make the decision as to whether or not I win my appeal um, or the decision to disqualify me will stand. So what are some of the things they didn't like your opinion on that they disqualified you for? Um, well, they, uh, of course, when you have really nothing to come back on, it's conspiracy theory. Um, and some, I'll give you an example. Um, I think one of the conspiracy theories, obviously around COVID, um, of course, I have been following Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Pierre Corey, Dr. Alexander, our own Dr. Dennis Modry is a personal friend. Um, you know, I, I retweet much of that. Uh, I, I post questions, you know, hopefully getting people to critically think about issues. And that is, in their minds, conspiracy theory. There was no treatment or effective, um, possible effective treatment for COVID, um, despite much evidence on the other side of that. And whether it was or it wasn't, again, it's about having the debate and the discussion um, in hopes that, hey, wouldn't it be wonderful if, what if we've missed something? You know, so that's a big one. And uh, the other one was foreign influences. I was told, um, and these are just examples, uh, WEF, for example, and I have much tweeted about foreign influence in our Canadian government. And it took me all of 30 seconds to debunk their statements when I sent back a WEF uh, public forum um, with Christia Freeland, clearly highlighted as their trustee, and is she not the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada? And literally just what, three days ago, I think our Canadian intelligence uh, officers came out and said that our 2019 election, um, potentially 11 MPs, I think funded by Chinese sources. So, you know, is that a conspiracy? I mean, the only difference I think today between conspiracy and, and fact is usually six to 12 months. And, that's, and that's, that's it is and it's scary it is but but if you flag it you you know you bring it to people's attention i'm about red flags they didn't like some of the comments i made about the vaccine mandates they say that i've compared that to you know nazi germany for example um well you know when you have to start asking people to identify themselves whether it's through a wristband or through a vaccine passport or papers please um for me it wasn't about drawing an analogy to the end result of Nazi Germany. It was really about, let's take a look at the steps, the incremental steps that occurred over a series of years, you know, that ended in a really bad result. So again, you know, take things in context, right? It's like, I'm trying to raise a red flag here saying, do we really want to go down this path? I, I personally do not agree. And I said this in 20, 21, clearly, I refuse and I reject, actually, I do believe I said my words were, I reject a class society where some people have more rights than others. It's just wrong. That's that's a really hard one to debate. So, of course, you would be canceled if, if they were in, uh, unable to debate. So, what you mentioned that you were interested in hearing from people like uh, Peter McCullough, Paul Alexander, uh, those doctors that were risking their careers to speak up and say, hey, we're 
we're probably doing something wrong here. There's a better way where it's working. We're saving people's lives. Hey, we're saving lives here, right? Um, how, what would you say if I told you that the Chris and Carrie show, Carrie's going to kill me for this, uh, <laughs> is planning on and planning, planning on bringing up some of these doctors, including Peter McCullough, who we just interviewed again this morning, the second time we've had him on the show, uh, Jay Botticario, uh, Paul Alexander. We want to bring them to Alberta. Uh, we want to get all of these men and women who have been speaking out and offering uh, a different option than what you know has been pushed on us. And we want to arrange a meeting with all of these men and women with their information, with their, uh, you know, their science and their studies and stuff and have them present it to Premier Smith and caucus. I mean, why not? Right. Like if, if, if democracy is about listening to people, then making informed decisions uh, to uh, what the, what the majority support, then, then why wouldn't they want to hear from these people? So what, what would you think about that? If we flew all these men and women up and had a, you know, some sort of a conference here and invited government. Um, do I get an invitation first? Uh, yeah, probably. Okay, then then absolutely. Um, you know, science is about debate. It's about questioning. It's about multiple hypotheses. So in medicine, I do have an alternative. I studied alternative health for three years. I did live blood analysis. I have a physical education degree. Um, so I'm not misinformed on issues around health. Um, I did work in the traditional um, medical system for a couple of years. I worked in the pharmacy, actually, and would deliver uh, to the, the ward the medications for each patient um, on a daily basis. So I'm not ignorant to that either. And for me, you know, there's not just one way of doing something. There is multiple ways. And these generic drugs and some of these protocols that have been highlighted by these doctors, these have been practiced for, for decades since, since medicine has been around. You know, if something new comes on that they're unfamiliar with, it's like, well, how do we treat this? You know, and it, there's multiple hypotheses that compete. And then they look at the results and they share the information. They don't silence doctors. Um, they don't censor them, right? They allow these hypotheses, they allow these treatments to proceed. They, they look at the results, they try to find what's best and they, you know, make amendments, they improve, they debate. That That's science. What we saw in the last, you know, three years is political science. And that's been a narrative that's been pushed on us and a narrative that I've pushed back against and challenged. Um, you know what, there is no medical authority in this province who should have denied talking to Dr. Peter McCullough. He is one of the um, most published epidemiologists in the world. And the McCullough protocol likely saved thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives across the world. As a matter of fact, when all this stuff came out that, hey, there's a protocol and a treatment for this. And you remember what it was, uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine. Uh, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, aspirin, blah, blah, blah. We, we all know what it is by now. Um, I was like, hey, you know, if this is real, somebody's got to be doing it. So I found out that El Salvador was actually sending those things to people who were sick or exposed to people with COVID. And at first I was like, hey, this can't be true because it was a video of a woman opening the package and explaining what everything is. And my basic understanding of Spanish told me that, hey, she's actually saying this is what it is. This is what it's used for. So I phoned the Ministry of Health in El Salvador 
And I got a lady whose English was just as bad as my Spanish, but between the two of us, <laughs> I got that information. And I found out that, yes, in fact, they were offering the McCullough protocol to anybody who was sick or exposed. And this got me thinking. So El Salvador has a lot of very, very smart people, doctors, scientists, that kind of thing, right? At that time, Canadian experts were saying, no, this is a conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. You're just going to be shitting your pants because it's horse dewormer. Meanwhile, they're using it in another country. And I thought, well, what makes Canadian doctors so much smarter than the doctors in, in El Salvador? Do they still not treat people? They, they want to help people and, and cure them of their illnesses? Obviously, they do. And they're doing it. So why are we not? And why are we vilifying something that another country has actually followed the science and determined that that was uh, the best outcome? So it was... Uh, it, this, this whole thing has been just like the twilight zone. I never thought that I'd be calling a foreign country's Ministry of Health to get information on something like this. But, you know, here we are two years later and I've talked to uh, most of these doctors. I've talked to them or interviewed them. Um, I've had conversations with numerous politicians, MLAs, MPs, former Premier of Newfoundland, Brian Peckford, uh, about this stuff. And almost everyone I talk to is supportive of this quest for information, yet it doesn't happen in the government. Still, they're talking about how um, anyone that believes that there's treatments and things like that, they're right-wing conspiracy theorists. They're un unhinged people. And, and that's part of the problem is, is they're allowing the media to drive the narrative here. Um, and, I, and I agree with you. It, it's not about ivermectin. It's not about hydroxychloroquine. It's about seeking answers and it's about the truth and you can't get to the truth unless you can ask the questions and we have to be honest enough to be willing enough to ask the questions and seek out an alternative narrative in order to compare the results of one to the other and and this is the role of government um, you know, if we want to talk about public safety, going down one path, you know, and enforcing, you know, a, an, an experiment really on the our entire population is probably not a good idea. It needs to be choice. I mean, medicine is all about informed consent. And we took that away from people when they said you had to choose between this or your job. Um, I couldn't go home. You know, people say that I wasn't discriminated against. It was a choice. As a Métis woman, for example, and I don't, it means nothing to me. I really don't care. Um, but I've never felt discriminated against because I was Métis. But I couldn't get on a plane to go home to visit my mom and dad, who were both aging, because I, I chose a different medical choice, made a different medical choice than someone else. Um, I just don't understand that kind of logic. I mean, I thought that the government was there to protect the civil liberties um, and that the smallest minority in society is the individual. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do what a politician, but also a human being would do in answering this lady's question. Now, obviously, this lady, if this isn't sarcasm, um, she is completely offside with what we believe and i think that she i don't know my unexpert opinion would be that she's suffering from a form of stockholm syndrome 
and she is uh, in love with her abuser. But here it is. I would I would like you to answer this. Sure. Or actually comment on this because it's not a question. So that, that's a loaded question. 46 Albertans died this week. From what exactly? Mm -hmm. Was Where it sudden? What, from what? That, that's the first question. This is, again, where we don't have all the information enough to be able to answer this question fairly. What did they die from? You know, every year people die from the flu, for example. If you study the output, the, the results, the data of the last two years, where did the flu go? Right. And, and I'm not and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. All I'm saying is, is I want to have the conversation honestly and fairly. And why can't we do it publicly? Um, we had Dr. Dennis Modry, um, who challenged the, the current system. And he said, hey, let's get some doctors together. Let's do a public forum and let's have the government of experts come and they can present their evidence and they would present their evidence and they would have a debate and let's see what comes out of that to me any rational human being would look at that and go that's wonderful where do i sign up i want to watch that right i might learn something um but the government was unwilling to do so so you know importance died this week from what exactly you're much more patient than i am i'm running out of patience with this kind of thing here's the follow-up statement from susan so susan says 46 people have died in alberta this week um do you have any idea how many people have died suddenly unexplained causes no idea and yet uh people are still talking about 46 people in a province of 4.5 million people who have died from something uh that something else likely would have killed them Anyway, and yes, that sounds cold. Unfortunately, we're all going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die of something, right? But in this quest for preventing these 46 deaths, are you willing to ignore the hundreds of thousands of other people that have been harmed or died unexplainably um, before their time? Like, is this the, still the only focus here? I'm sorry, but I don't have patience for Susan's anymore. So maybe I wouldn't be a very good politician. So my response to that statement would be get your head out of your ass and pay attention because if you don't start paying attention and having conversations and actually seeking the truth at this point with what you see going on around you, you are complicit in the but, harms that are being done to people. The challenge, and that might be some strong language, but we're, I think we're well past the soft spoken language type. And this yeah. might, you know, maybe people will be mad at me. Maybe it'll get me kicked off Facebook, but I'm done playing this game where people think that they're virtuous for not questioning things anymore. I'm not doing it. And, and I, I think that the, the challenge for a lot of people is the media is still really strongly pushing only one side of the story and the narrative. Um, and, and, you know, when somebody is especially elderly, maybe lives in a rural community, I don't know, and all they watch is CBC, the world is a very scary place. Um, so I, I tend to look at it from a place of compassion um, and try to understand where everybody is coming from. When you, to me, when you, you're a politician, you have to understand not only the people who agree with you, 
but the people who disagree with you, you need to be willing to listen to their concerns, um, to understand, you know, where they're coming from as well and why. And then you have to find, and the only way to find the real answer to the problems is to have the discussion, to have the debate, to question. And this is what really for me has been disturbing is, is our willingness to shut down and censor um, real debate and discussion and to dismiss it by, as conspiracy theory. I, I just, you know, we, we have to stop that. Um, this is really how the NDP is going to take back this province is because, you know, we are now fighting amongst ourselves and they're loving it. Uh, to be honest, they're loving it. They control the narrative. And us as conservatives, we're not stepping up to stand behind our principles, our values, and, and to push back. I'm not apologizing for anything that I've said. Why? Because I believe that there is some truth to it. There is, there is facts out there that have not been shared or disclosed. And I am willing to bring and listen to anybody who has data to the other side. I like that. And, you know, we we have seen some interesting things a while ago. And I meant to interject this earlier, but I got I, I I'm starting to get fired up with statements like what we just saw, because the implications of a society continuing to push things without questioning in the face of adverse events happening all around them, the the outlook is grim, to say the least. So I get a little bit fired up. But you mentioned um, politics not or it was about politics not health or something along those lines a little while ago so did you know that there was a ruling that actually support that and reaffirmed what we said from the very beginning in that uh what the government was doing was unlawful what the cmoh was doing was unlawful was unjustified and they can't do it to us are you aware that there was a ruling on that yes uh the dunlop decision yes okay so for those of you of you that aren't aware uh, a judge has ruled that, now this sounds like a loss at first glance, but it's not. A judge has ruled that Dina Hinshaw's order to remove the mask from kids in school was illegal. Horrible, right? Kids are going to get masks again? No, not necessarily. The reason that happened is because, uh, as Nadine mentioned, what the government has been doing is they have been playing politics in areas they have no business playing politics. And in this case, uh, we had a public health emergency in which the CMOH is supposed to have the authority to do whatever they need to do to get us through this problem. Normally, this happens in localized areas. It's small things and they take control of it because you need decisions done like that. It's not a whole province. It's not a carte blanche over 4.5 million people. Anyway, so what happened is the CMOH was given all these powers and the government told her what to do. The government played politics with health. And they did it. I don't know why they did it. Maybe because they could take the power by using the Public Health Act. Who knows why, but this is what happened. So anyway, the judge said, no, you acted outside of your scope as CMOH in that you were letting politics affect your health recommendations for Alberta. Big no-no. That means all of her orders were illegal. All of them. Now, knowing that there's a judgment there, and knowing that what the government did, the current government, what they did was illegal. How do we address that going forward? Now, this is another tough question because this comes to the, you know, the amnesty or vengeance question. And I tend to side towards amnesty with a little side helping of vengeance. But what's your what's your thoughts on that? 
um, on the amnesty side. Um, I think, yeah. you know, our premier has already spoken to the fact that she's apologized. Um, it's funny, we have, she wasn't even in power, right? It wasn't, these weren't her decisions. In fact, they're the exact opposite of the decisions that she has spoken out on quite vocally herself, thankfully. And she has apologized to people who have been on the other, the receiving end of these policies. But yet the people that were in government have not yet apologized for their own actions. They haven't apologized for the policies and for the harm that they've caused. So when we talk about amnesty, um, you know, we, we have pastors who went to jail for 21 days. He's not getting those 21 days back. I had to watch the arrest of a pastor here in Alberta. Um, as far as I know, one of the only places on this planet that arrested pastors. I mean, that's harsh, very harsh. And they do that in right, China too. Yeah, well, China, yes. Well, that's a different story altogether. Um, and and literally, they, they pulled him away from his children in tears. Like, it brought tears to my eyes. I am a mother. It's hard and to watch. It was very difficult to watch. And you could tell the RCMP weren't happy or the Calgary police weren't happy doing what they had to do there either. Um, and they did this on the orders of somebody. So, you know, here we have innocent men and women who were put in a very difficult position. Either they stood up with conviction and for what they believed in, a free country, their right to worship, their right, right to free assembly, their right to freedom of speech, um, or they, they, they cowered to an authority that really, in my opinion, overstepped its reach. And so what, what consequence, again, this comes back down to accountability, right? Those government officials, how are we going to hold them to account for what they did, right? If they, they, they are asking for amnesty now in many cases around the world, they've yet to apologize for what they've done. And yet we have innocent men and women, we have pastors that have gone to jail wrongfully tim tim stevens he had everything thrown out he's been acquitted of any charges he's done nothing wrong That's but the damage was done but the damage was done the no. 21 days you'll never get back this amnesty though i don't this isn't amnesty that the government's saying they get this is amnesty for people like me basically oh. hey you know yeah we know you spoke out and broke the rules but we're just going to sweep it under the rug and i'm like yeah don't bother sweeping it under the rug i'm happy to fight this like i got fight left in me um, so th this isn't amnesty for politicians. This is amnesty for those who stood up for their own rights. So um, I guess what what would you, I want to try and bring this back to um, your involvement with the UCP and why, and having you read that their core values statement, um, a lot of these things should never have happened. And knowing that they happened and knowing what the core value statement is, how would you like to see the government respond to all this? Like, let's, I guess, let's start with your particular matter, which is what we talked about earlier and the reason for this interview, uh, your matter of being disqualified from the Provincial Elections Committee. So what would you like to see the Premier and the party do to remedy this situation to the benefit of Albertans because democracy shouldn't be stifled by a small group of people? And what would you like to see the government do to... I, can't, I shouldn't say remedy because I don't think there's a remedy, but respond to 
the blatant abuses of power and lawlessness that the government and COMOH, along with organizations like AHS, have committed over the last three years. Where, where do you see this going? So as it relates to me, um, I believe that the UCP needs to respect the decisions of their local members and their local CAs and their local committees. Um, they did put their name forward. We addressed many of their concerns, their issues through an interview. Um, and they still felt that I represented their views and their opinions and their best interests. And, uh, you know, again, it boils down to principle for me. I run everything through um, a, a series of principles. For me, if, if you're going to apply a rule to one person, the rule should apply equally to all people. So, for example, again, if you want the federal government to respect provincial jurisdiction, but yet you're a party that's going to be top down and not respect the jurisdiction of your local CAs, that doesn't look very well. And I thought we'd moved past that. That to me was very much a Jason Kenney uh, government. And I am very hopeful that that is not the case um, with this current UCP board. Um, so that that's really where I'm at um, on my front. As far as the other problems we have, we need more people who are willing to have the discussion in government. And that boils down to each riding has to have the right to choose its own representation. If we are going to have the government dictate to us who our choices are, they're choosing, oh, you can choose between this person, this person, and this person. There's still people of their cho choosing. That is not going to get us the diversity or the, um, the discussion that we need to have in government. We need that diversity of opinion. And you know what? Livingston McLeod is different from Medicine Hat Brooks, is different from Calgary, is different from Edmonton. And each person should be free, each riding should be free to select what they feel is going to be the best representation for them. We all then come to legislature and then we can have the discussion, but no more whipping the vote. Um, you know, people asked me, so Nadine, you have some pretty strong opinions. What would happen if uh, your, your riding, the residents, didn't agree with the UCP's decision on something? And I said, well, I'm your voice. So I will bring forward respectfully, probably before the vote, um, to the party that my riding, my constituents disagree for the following reasons. And we would have a conversation. Now, if I had to, I'd bring that conversation back to my constituency and say, hey, these are the reasons. What are your thoughts? But again, it's about communication. It's not about an MLA running from a problem and not answering the phone and then casting his ballot because that's what the leader told him to do. Um, I would be very respectful and say, okay. But I would then go back and I would say, this is the decision of my constituency. And we're going to either agree or disagree. And, and that I think that should be okay. Um, there's going to be some things every now and again, I, I think I tweeted this, heaven forbid I tweeted this, every now and again, a blind squirrel gets a nut. You know, Rachel Notley came out the other day and said that Kananaska's country should be free to all Albertans. Totally agree with her. Why are we paying fees for something that our tax dollars are funding and it's the great outdoors, which is therapy and beauty and it's for all of us to enjoy? 
you know, so I agree with her on that. You know, be, I, I really, it, it, it's a good idea. Good ideas are good ideas. So that might hint to something that I've come to realize over the last little while, this whole idea of the right and the left and having to fit in this little political box with these certain ideas and not, you're not allowed to go with that. I, I hate that. I don't agree with it at all. Um, I've realized that I'm probably not just a conservative because there's lots of things where I have liberal ideas and no, that doesn't make me a liberal any more than a liberal having some conservative values makes them a, a liberal. But these ideas that we have to be in one of these boxes or the other, are get, they put us in a position now where when we vote on something, it's 51 to 49 because everybody feels like they have to be in these boxes and they can't agree on other things. There's at least a half of a thing that Rachel Notley has said that I agree with. At least a half of a thing. That was certain. And that's the hard part is government uh, has become this adversarial entity um, where if you're on a different side, supposedly, you have to disagree. And I disagree with that. Um, you know, I definitely do not want to see Rachel Motley running this this province again. Um, I do believe that those four years were disastrous and we're still digging ourselves out of that hole. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have to acknowledge that if, if it's a good idea and it's what's right for Albertans, then we should be moving forward lock and step because we need to put Alberta first. And that, I think, is what Danielle Smith has been promoting, Alberta first. And, you know, yeah. for me, I, I was excited um, when Danielle won the leadership because I looked at these statement of principles, which I agree with you, they've been ignored. Um, are, are there just, you know, words on a piece of paper? Do they mean anything? And I think that's the question that we're about to find out the answer to is, do they actually mean something under this new government? And I honestly believe they do. Um, and I'm very hopeful, like I said, that I'm going to win this appeal. And, um, you know, I, I, I came into this. I'm not a politician. I mean, I know I've been doing politics now for almost five years. I've never been elected. I'm not a politician. I'm, I'm a disgruntled mom who wants something better for her child, who believes that she actually can add value through my own personal experience in what I have to offer. Um, I'm not somebody who, you know, is young and is coming with no life experience. I mean, I've run my own businesses. Um, I've had my hurdles with government. I've worked in aerospace and defense and, and finance. I can't find two tougher industries um, on the planet. And then I've worked in health as well. So, you know, I, I kind of chuckled a little bit when I looked at the last three years, because as I've jumped through these different industries in my career path, I often wondered, like, what the heck am I doing? 10 years here, 10 years there, 16 years here. Um, but the last three years really made it clear to me is like, ah, I was being prepared for this exactly this exact moment in time so i do have something i can contribute and i'm not going to bow down or cower or back away um, and i think that's what the people in this riding really appreciate most is that i can stand strong in my principles and it's okay whatever the media throws at me i'm okay with it go ahead because i know the truth and I'm very transparent. And anybody who takes the time to actually talk to me, I've spoken to many people in this riding who are NDP, believe it or not. And they're like, yeah, you're not so bad. And I'm like, mm, imagine that. You think you could work with me? Business people, they're like, yeah, I could probably work with you. 
because I'm very rational, I'm very pragmatic, and I am compassionate. I can understand. I don't have to agree, so let's be careful. I don't have to agree, but I can understand where you're coming from, and I'm always willing to listen. And that's where that's where it starts. I I I really like that. There's I think it was so bad under the NDP government. And to be fair, we did go through some things that had the NDP government wasn't con in control of. So they did inherit some baggage from world events that affected Alberta. However, they were disastrous for Alberta. Let me be perfectly clear. And as Rachel Notley would say, let me be perfectly clear. The NDP government did tremendous damage to this province that will take decades to undo. Hope that's as clear as mud. But... <laughs> It got us to a point where people believed that they couldn't talk to somebody because they were an NDP supporter or because they were a conservative. Like that's, that's how people are starting to think. And that has to change because as long as we're divided and stuck in these little boxes, unable to talk to each other, um, we're going to miss out on a lot of really good ideas. And that's not beneficial to anybody except for those who want to keep us uh, in submission and not rising up like we should. So this is a, it's a bigger deal than just an election it, or, or, or what party takes the election. This is Alberta's chance to actually do something different. Now I am of the opinion, and you know this very well, that Alberta if we want to do anything different that hasn't been done before, especially when it comes to the federal government and our negotiations with them, we need some leverage. My opinion, and actually I know that the only leverage we could possibly have is an independence referendum, a successful one, because we need to change some things. Um, now, while the UCP and the Premier aren't fully on side with proposing independence to the people of Alberta, they have hinted and acknowledged that should the provincial government fail to fix Alberta's position or benefit Albertans uh, in confederation the way we need to be, like some equality, for instance, that it becomes the people's responsibility to get a referendum question together and, uh, and put that to the people of Alberta. So while the UCP doesn't share all of my values and opinions and ideas, um, they do share some. There are other parties that I am definitely more aligned with than the UCP. However, I'm not so naive as to uh, forget or, or not notice that the UCP is our government right now. And we have some potential to make some changes. So I am cautiously optimistic that, and I'm not saying hopeful, I'm cautiously optimistic that there are some people who want to make some changes within the UCP. Now, it's been my position before, and I'll say this again, that there are some mechanisms and some structures within the party that may not be fixable. I would love to be proved wrong. It's my opinion that power structures protect power structures. And this here, what you're facing, is going to be a pivotal decision for the new refurbished UCP as to are they going to do the same things they've been doing before? Or are they really different? Are they going to allow dissenting opinions 
into caucus because those opinions are from the constituents. So this is pretty big for me. I've watched this happen a couple times. Um, and uh, I guess we're going to see where it goes. But I think if people want to support you in this, they're going to have to get involved as well. They're going to have to start emailing. They're going to have to start phone calling. They're going to have to start talking to some of these people that are making these decisions and say, hey, what right do you have to decide who is my voice in that building? That's my building and it's my voice. And you have no right to say otherwise. Um, and I guess we'll see how it plays out. And that's absolutely accurate. I've always been a big fan of make the best decision, um, choose the best person who you feel is going to represent you the best in your community. Um, I chose to work with the through the UCP because it does align, at least on paper, with my statement of principles, my values. And I think there is a huge opportunity here to do the right thing, to make changes that will positively influence Alberta. Um, I am a firm believer in Danielle Smith and some of her ideas about reforms. And I will be more than happy to support her um, on the ideas that, you know, I believe are in the best interests of this riding and of Alberta. But, you know, I also acknowledge her and I are not going to agree on everything. And I think that's okay. I think that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, let's have the debate. Let's have the discussion. And let's come to the best possible conclusion. It's naive to believe that everybody's going to believe 100% on everything. And this is the one thing I often caution conservatives on because we are like herding cats. We are very independent people. We do have opinions. Um, but if we can come to agree on 70, 80, 90%, don't run away because we disagree on 10. Let's work it through. Let's get to that point where we can say, okay, this is the best option, the best opportunity we have at this time let's exhaust it. And that's what I saw with the UCP. Let's exhaust it. So if, you know, the decision is not as, as favorable um, as I think it will be, and I really honestly believe that it will be favorable in my, my favor. Um, if it's not, then I really have some hard thinking to do because, um, you know, how do we make change when you can't be a part um, and you're disallowed your voice and not just my voice now. I mean, we have thousands of people. We have signed up hundreds of new members in this riding who were excited to vote for me as their candidate. We have thousands of people that we've met with businesses and we're not talking just members. We're talking residents of the community and they don't disagree with my strong views and opinions. The majority agree with them. Well, I will agree on one thing. I'm going to twist your words a little bit here for comedy value. But well, just keep in mind that I'm guilty been, by association by being here. So don't twist them too badly. Yeah. The, the UCP has been very exhausting for me. Like it, I, not just exhausting all the ideas and avenues, but it has been exhausting. So that's why I say I'm not hopeful, but I'm cautiously, up, cautiously optimistic. And we've had this conversation before. You know where I stand. Um, I, 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 of course, I, I hope that this works for you. But one thing I'll say is choosing this path and this group 
And I say this to everybody and believe it or not, there's been a lot of people ask me for my counsel on what they should do. They tell me, oh, I want to run for the UCP in this and they want my counsel. And I tell them, you, you have, don't be so naive to think that conservatives or even realistic thinking human beings have to set aside their principles and buy into failed ideology and woke extremism in order to appease the masses. And I've seen that in the UCP. And I'm not saying every other party or any other party is perfect, but I'm saying that conservatives or I, I, I'm going to stop using that word completely. Freedom loving, prosperity loving Albertans have to stop buying into BS policies in order to try and appease our new gods of ideology. It's gotta stop. And the only hope that this is going to happen is if institutions start allowing people to bring their constituents voices in there. And as um, the, actually the last person I interviewed, um, Margaret Kapala said, we need institutional integrity. And my problem with the UCP over the last few years is I've realized that there is very little integrity there and a lot of politics and people are sick of it. So that's my message for anybody that wants to do anything in politics. Pick whoever you're most strongly aligned with. Um, don't set aside your principles and don't buy into any ideologies that you know are not to the benefit of the people that you want to represent because we're going to see right through it. As a matter of fact, I, I like Danielle, but when she was speaking out the, about the net zero stuff, I understood what she's saying. And I don't think she really believes in it, but it's a political thing. And I, I just thought, you know what? People see right through it right now. And, the, and Albertans don't want to do that anymore. We, don't, we know that net zero is a ridiculous fairy tale. We know that it's not to the benefit of humanity. And why are we going to pursue anything that isn't, let me ask you this. Did, did you see the Alex Epstein event? Were you there? No. A question he had is, why are we focusing on something like carbon dioxide? Why are we saying that our goal at all costs is to stop outputting carbon dioxide? Shouldn't our goal to be, or shouldn't our goal to be humans should flourish and prosper and be safe and healthy? That's what our goal should be. Human flourishing. Everything else that happens underneath that, as long as it contributes to the the advancement of the human race, great. If it doesn't, don't do it. And yet, we're really stuck on this one thing, right? At all costs. And again, it's the one-sided narrative that needs to be challenged and needs to be debated. Um, I believe the world was put here for human beings to flourish. Um, and I believe we can have a healthy environment and I think if we are healthy, so you can't swim in a sea and have unhealthy fish if the the waters are healthy, right? So to me, I always look at at the outcomes, right? What's the result? If health, if people are healthy, they're happy. Um, and by healthy, I don't mean that means we're we're taking you know five different drugs by the time we're sixty five. I'm talking healthy people leading active lives. Um, that to me means that we have a pretty healthy environment. 
So, you know, for me, the, the environment issue and net zero and all these things, again, I think that the conversation needs to be restructured in such a way that we look at what is the goal? What is the actual objective and how do we achieve that? If our goal is to lift people out of poverty, if our goal is to lift people into better health circumstances, then why are we treating sickness and not treating more preventative measures? Um, you know, when people have an opportunity to avoid something, you know, if I was to tell you, look, you know, Chris, don't go out on the roads today. They're a mess. Just just avoid it because, you know, you're going to get into an accident. Um, would you not just say, yeah, oh, it's not very nice out there. Okay, I don't have to get on the road, so I'll stay at home. Let's take preventative measures. So there's so many things that we need to do, but we have to have a political willingness to have the conversation. But the thing with politics is politics, if you think about it as a corporation, as a business, you got the people in power and you're absolutely right. They want to stay there. And then this business wants to expand and it wants to grow, right? Because the bigger it is and the more it expands and the more, that's the job, the role of a business. I like small, limited, very effective and efficient government, but it needs to have limited powers. And the power has to come from the people, not from the top down. It's just the wrong approach. And it's going to take time to make that change. And I think that now is this time. And I believe that if Danielle can can stick this out, and trust me, I I honestly believe there are people that right now who are just out to get her, um, and the media is certainly out to get her. I think that the debate about me is more about hurting her than it is about hurting me, and I think that's unfortunate because I think I truly do. I have a lot that I can offer. We have we have an economic recession to a tune we have not seen in my lifetime about to just impact us. And it's going to hit a lot of people. We're seeing food and energy insecurity around the world. There are people in Germany this year who are going to be hungry and cold for the first time in their lifetime. Europe is scared of winter. They should be scared of winter because they made bad political decisions and now they're going to suffer the consequences. And we in Canada, we have solutions that we can offer the world and they're denied. Why? Why would anybody deny somebody the help of a warm home and food on their table when we have the power to do that? Again, because there's know, a group, there's a group of people. It's a small fringe minority. They believe that human life is bad. It's a virus on the planet and needs to be exterminated. There is no sanctity in human life. There is no, um, no, no purpose to us being here. They believe that. And all of the policies they put forth are detrimental to human flourishing, whether it be uh, the climate agenda and the energy industry or what they want to do with agriculture. They've already tried to do in, in certain countries. They're all anti-human policies, anti-human agendas. And that's why I say, uh, it is critically important that anyone that wants to make a real difference and do something to the benefit of the people of Alberta, they have to say no to all that stuff. They have to agree that first and foremost, human life is sacred and we should be allowed to prosper. Everything else will balance itself. Get it? Absolutely. Itself. Yeah. Absolutely. And 
how do you end on a better note? It's, it is about, you know, the human race and, and human being and healthy, you know, healthy, happy, and wise. That's how I try to live my life is, you know, hopefully I've got enough experience that I've got some wisdom I can share. And, you know, hopefully I've got enough. And, and wealth is more than just money. It is knowledge. It's experience. It's the friends. It's the family in your life. And that's been dismantled over the last three years. And as far as our health goes, I mean, we all make personal decisions that are good for us, wrong for other people. You know, the right foods for me to eat might be the wrong foods for you to eat. The right medicine for me to treat a particular ailment might be the wrong one for you. It needs to be individual and we need to respect those individual differences. But we've seen a, a tremendous overreach of government in the last three years. And we got to get back to a smaller government with restricted powers and give the people back to give the power back to the people. And that's really why we came together and we saw Jason Kenney leave the UCP. Um, people made their voices heard and we made it very clear. We want change. So now it is really truly up to this UCP government to decide whether or not they're going to listen to the voices and uh, respect the choices of their members or not. And I, I, I think either way, the media is going to have a heyday with it regardless. But I don't think we should be making decisions based upon how the media is going to react. We know already how they're going to react in advance. So why are we even paying any attention to it? We need to move on. We need to ignore it. And we need to get back to what we do. And that's govern you know, make wise policy decisions that are well debated, well thought out, well researched. Well, I think I'm going to wrap this up with a warning. <laughs> um, whatever people choose to do with their time to try and affect change, which we desperately need, I think it's going to take a lot of soul searching and self reflection to determine where that time is best used. Where is your time going to be effective? That goes for everybody, myself included. And the reason I say that is because uh, actually my friend Vicky, who you know, Vicky Bayford, she asked a question. How much time do you think we have? And I don't think we have very much time at all. I am of the opinion that if we try and fail, no matter what path we take um, for this next provincial election, that may be our last chance. And I say that because I've been paying attention to what's going on. I'm watching how fast this anti-human policy is infiltrating our government. And I know that Alberta is probably uh, the best place in the world with the best shot at standing up against it. Absolutely. If we, are. we, we use our time wisely. We have resources, we have the human resources, and we have... Uh, a society that respects, um, you know, freedom. And I do believe that we, again, we just needed the political will. Yep. Well, time will tell. And time is our enemy, as it is mine. I'm about to turn into a pumpkin. It's 930. <laughs> I've been up way too long today. And uh, I miss Carrie. I mean, Jessica. <laughs> well thank you for the opportunity thank you for the listeners for sharing the questions and giving me the opportunity to uh to just share my story and hopefully if nothing else um you know people come away with the fact that you know it, it, this 
what I'm proposing is not radical. It's not extremism. It's really common sense. And that's all really that we need to get back to is just making some common sense policies and allowing people to do what they do and get government out of our way. Oh, that was you. Yeah. <laughs> that's my daughter calling me now. <laughs> yeah. It's her bedtime too. So she's about to turn into a pumpkin. All right. Well, I'll let you get to that. And anyway, uh, yeah, thanks for letting us know what's going on and keep me in the loop and good luck. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night. Well, there you have it, everybody. Uh, Nadine Wellwood doing her part, trying to make a difference within our current government. Uh, what I said at the end there about not having much time is absolutely true. We don't have a lot of time. At least that's my opinion. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. That would be wonderful. Um, but I take comfort in the fact that whatever happens is supposed to happen. There's a plan. Um, things will work out the way they're intended to, uh, whether we win or lose. And as a matter of fact, I don't think we can really look at it as a win or a loss because how can we say that things happening the way they're supposed to be is a loss? I think that's a win. So, um, yeah, get involved, do your thing, whatever you can. But please, whatever you do, pay attention to what you're getting involved with. Don't let your guard down no matter how much hope um, you're fed on a silver platter because that hope of a little bit of grain here and there, um, that could end with you being on the dinner table. And I don't mean that literally. I mean that figuratively, figuratively, of course. Just pay attention. And uh, don't flog the dead horse too much. It gets boring after a while. Night, everybody.